so uh, I want to thank Carter and Cheryl for inviting me slash allowing me uh, to do this. This is a Sunday I look forward to all year until the actual day. Um, and I want you to know I take great comfort in knowing that no matter how this goes, that you'll all be very nice to me afterwards. Like, I can't lose. Our, uh, our gospel reading this morning comes from Luke. Uh, and, you know, when I was a kid, I was really kind of curious about what Jesus was like when he was a kid, right? Like, you know, how did Jesus handle the neighborhood bully kind of thing? Uh, and I think our curiosity is peaked because there isn't much there, right? You know, we've got uh, Matthew, Mark, and John uh, don't have anything from the very beginning, like Jesus is born, all the way till Jesus is 30, right? There's like a blank page there. But we've got this one story from Luke. Uh, which we're going to read this morning. And uh, it sort of makes me smile when I read it a little bit, because maybe to borrow a phrase that Carter uses, um, it seems like Jesus maybe had a little rascal in him. <laughs> Listen to the word. Now, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends, and when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed in his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And he said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. <laughs> Uh, have any of you ever been to the Henley Happening? Yeah. Uh, if you haven't been to the Henley Happening, it's an annual fundraiser uh, that one of the schools in Darien does. Uh, if you closed your eyes and thought of a like 1960s county fair, like that would be pretty close, right? Like there's the teacup ride that goes around. There's the haunted house, the Ferris wheel. Like there's the darts to, you know, pop the balloon and cotton candy and all that good stuff. I mean, if you're in elementary or middle school in Darien, this is like on your calendar, right? This is a big weekend. So one year when Callie was seven or eight, sorry, call out right there, my daughter Callie, seven or eight, uh, Kathleen was with our son Jed, so it was my assignment to take Callie to the Henley Happening. So we go, it's just this beautiful May day, the sky's blue, the place is jammed with people. And we go on a few rides, and then we sort of wander into this clearing area. And I'm um, a little fuzzy on what happened next, like whether I was distracted, or I was talking to a friend or something, but like one minute Callie's right there, and the next minute she's gone, right? And definitely the first few minutes, I'm feeling like, this is okay, you know, like, she must be around here someplace, I'm looking around. Uh, but that, that didn't, you know, yield anything. 
Um, and then I got a little more dialing up the agitation a little bit, um, as Mary said. Uh, and so I'm like finding my friends. I'm like, have you seen Callie? Can you see her? Can you grab her and call me? And uh, nothing like that. That didn't come up with anything. Um, and I'm going to admit to you that in these situations, time is a little warped, right? I don't know exactly how much time we're talking. But after, let's say, 10, 15 minutes, I'm running around the Haley schoolyard like a chicken with my head cut off, right? I am in full fledged panic mode. I'm like, I, you know, like, where is she? What's happened? I'm talking to the police, um, imagining these worst case scenarios, like, looking at the exits, all this kind of stuff. And finally, after some period of time, I don't know, 30 minutes, I wander back to that first spot, right, where I, where I lost her. And she leans over and grabs my pant leg and says, Dad, do you need some money? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, if that seems a little discontinuous, that's exactly what it was like in real life, right? I mean, here I've been sort of searching, 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 and can't find ah! And then she grabs my leg and says, I need some, I need some cash. <laughs> and I was like, here, okay, so number one reaction, total relief, right? Oh my God, I'm so, where have you been? Are you okay? I'm, I lost you, the whole thing. And Callie looked to me and was like, Dad, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I've been here the whole time. Where have you been? <laughs> so there was that first reaction of relief. My second reaction was very akin to what we saw Mary say to uh, Jesus today, of like, do you know what you put me through? Um, I was thinking about how much of the Bible I read metaphorically, right, as, as story. That's the one line I'm 100% sure is literally true. Because <laughs> that's what parents are thinking at that moment. Now, um, you know, of course, we might view these primarily as stories about parental cluelessness. Um, but one of the things that I sort of took out of it was this whole idea that Callie didn't know she was lost. Right? Like, I was panicked, but she was totally fine. So it seemed to me that it was possible that we could be lost and we don't know it. Right? We can be lost and we don't realize it. And I was thinking that may not be like a trivial issue, right? Because we're not used to getting lost anymore, right? Like we have these phones that tell us exactly where we are 99% of the time. As far as I can tell, my kids are tracking me, right? <laughs> Entirely different than when I was younger, right? Guaranteed once a week I'm walking out of my house with some scrap paper that's like, Go on Route 4, get off at exit 5, go down a ways. When you see the yellow house, take the left. It's the red mailbox. Like, that's what I was operating with. So I was getting lost all the time, but it wasn't, like, a big deal. I, mean, I, knew, I was like, okay, I'm lost. Go back to the yellow house and figure out what to do. I mean, if I try to give my kids directions now, they're, like, offended. They're like, no, no, no. I don't, I don't need that. What if, we're, what if we're lost and we don't know it? Now, of course, I'm not talking about being literally lost anymore. Now I'm sort of moving over into what if we're metaphorically lost, right? What if we are spiritually lost and we don't know it? Um, so I had this idea. It's a little bit of a leap. I ask you guys to hang in there with me. 
But my idea was maybe I'll look at the symptoms of what we experience when we're physically lost and see if any of those resonate with my spiritual life, right? So you can think about, I'm going to go through three symptoms that we feel, and you guys can keep score at home as to whether any of these resonate with you. And by the way, even though I said we don't have a lot of data because we're never lost anymore, it does turn out that a remarkable number of people still get lost in our national parks, right? So last year, because I looked this up, 5,000 people got lost in our national parks and not lost like I took a different way home, lost like we sent out search parties for them. So we kind of know what it's like when we're lost in the woods. Okay, so here's our first symptom. There's going to be three. First symptom. As I said to you before, there's a certain kind of panic that takes over when we get lost, right? Uh, and it's a panic with a very certain nature. It triggers that part of our brain called the amygdala. I don't know, do you guys know, do you remember what the amygdala is? That's like the prehistoric part of our brain. We're on the savannah in Africa. This is how we stay, you know, we stay alive. And the amygdala basically has two plays in its playbook, right? The first play is fight, and the second play is flight, right? Except that when our amygdala is triggered in the woods, like, there's no fighting. There's just flighting. I don't think that's a word, but if it was, there's just flighting, right? There's the running around like chicken with our head cut off. That's exactly what we do. Like, we are maybe on some leisurely hike, and all of a sudden we're like, oh my god, I'm lost. I better run. Like, that's our instinct to do that. It's, it's in our... It's in, our DNA, it's in our DNA, it's in our, it's in our bones, I guess. And of course, as uh, things would happen, that's exactly the wrong thing to do, right? You know how they sometimes have those acronyms or sayings to tell you what to do in like dangerous situations? So if you're on fire, you're supposed to drop and roll. Well, the acronym when you get lost in the woods is literally STOP. It's STOP. It's confusing because the S of STOP is STOP but then it's observe, think, and plan. And yet that is really hard for us to do. Now, when I think about my own spiritual life, the thing that I was thinking about here was the fact that so often when I'm feeling like there's something missing, like, I'm, like there's some meaning missing in my life, what I see is that the only play in my playbook is busyness, right? It's running around like a chicken with my head cut off. Like somehow that will make me feel better, will protect me from this lack of meaning in my life. I'm sort of reminded of that Woody Allen joke. So Woody Allen talks about the two people that go to the resort for the weekend and one of them says, oh my God, the food here is so bad. And the other one says, I know, my portions are so small. <laughs> it's like, when I'm feeling like I don't have enough meaning in my life, the problem is the portions are too small. As if more of the stuff that got me in the hole in the first place is going to get me out. I don't think so. I don't think so. Fortunately, we have in our faith something that goes back further than the afternoon stop, right? We have something from the very beginning. We have the Sabbath, right? 
we have something that God tells us will give us meaning. Stopping, thinking, meditating, praying, reflecting, right? That will give us the meaning and wholeness that we need. I mean, I know that when I try a little bit of it, I get it, right? I feel it. When I try and do some meditation, when I try and do prayer, when I try, when I do it, I, I feel it. And yet, it's kind of hard for me to keep it, keep it going. I don't know if that's something that resonates with you guys. Um, when, I was, when I was little, maybe like their age, I was learning about the Ten Commandments. And um, I'll admit, at the beginning, I was like, I think I can handle this, right? Like, uh, don't kill. Wasn't planning on it. Um, by far, the one I thought was going to be the hardest was don't curse, right? Like, that, that one uh, was right up there. But now, 50 years later, it's definitely on the sap. Right? That's the one that is really hard <laughs> for me to pull off. And yet I know that when I do it, I feel that, I feel that fullness, that wholeness, right? Like when we look around at our friends and people that are in a practice of prayer and meditation, don't we see the meaning? If you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off, Try honoring the Sabbath. That's our first first point. All right, second symptom. You're lost in the woods. And I think I even heard about this one before. It's kind of crazy. Uh, it turns out that when we're lost in the woods, we, we walk in circles, right? Um, I mean, we may take off. We may walk for another, like, four or five hours. But at the end of the day, we come back and we're like, oh, wait, hold on. I think I've been here before, right? Like, somehow we just made a big circle. We know this because when we find people uh, with either a happy or sad ending, they're not that far from where they were when they originally, they originally got lost. Um, and there's kind of these cool theories as to why that happens. Like, one of them is that one of our legs might be longer or shorter than the other. So, like, we just naturally. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's the, there's the other idea, uh, this one's a sermon all by itself, that uh, when we make, you know, a small mistake in the beginning, it, it starts to compound over time, like, you know, you're, you're only two feet away from where you were supposed to be after ten feet, but after two miles, you're, you're back there. But the idea that made the most sense to me, the one that resonated with me, is that we're just not nearly as good as we think we are at walking in a straight line without some kind of reference point, right? Without some kind of governor. I, I have Hollow Tree Ridge Road that way, I've got Town Chill Road, I've got Downtown Duquesne, I've got Long Island Sound. These are like mental reference points for me when I'm, when I'm making my way through the world that tell me how to walk a straight line. You stick me in the woods with a bunch of trees, like I don't know where I'm going. Okay, we're, we're, here's what I was thinking with this. I was thinking about, when I look back, how often I live my life in cycles, right? In patterns. How often I live my life in circles, right? Now, I mean, the circumstances are usually different, right? Almost by definition, they're different. But whether it's the root causes or, or you know, other things, I end up sort of doing the same thing over and over. 
And when I look at that critically and say, like, okay, what's going on here? It's usually because I'm doing something that I was thinking is living in my own head, right? Like, I'm operating where my only reference point is me, right? What is going to make me happier or feel better? Like, that typical conversation, I think that's good for next week, right? Or uh, it's amazing how often what's good for the people around me is also what's good for me, right? That's my reference point, and I end up going around in circles. Now, we are so fortunate to have a faith, right? A faith that asks us, a faith that demands us, we don't like that word, demands that we live in a certain way. I'm not allowed to walk down the street, see the person in the ditch on the other side, and say, I know, I totally would, but I'm really late. I got, you know, like this, I'm, I'm doing something really important. I'll, I'll, like, you know, help them later. I don't get to look over and say, wait, Glenn, I don't even like that guy. Forget it. No, I'm called to live in a certain way. I mean, um, this is not a trivial part of our faith. The idea that there is a way is absolutely core to Christianity, right? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, right? This is who we are. And I think about that, like we are in our best moments, I think a really critically minded congregation, right? We like to think about the, the problems of faith, we like to think about the inconsistencies of faith, and I think that's really great. Um, but this is a reminder that there's a, there's a danger that we need to be careful about, which is the sort of buffet-style faith, right? The one that says, yeah, I believe that, don't believe that, I believe that, not that one so much, that, right? Because when you start doing that, you're not living with God's reference point with something that's bigger than you, you're living with you, right? So if you're living your life in circles, if you're living your life in patterns that you need to break, find the way, the true way. That's our second point. What was our first point? Yeah, chicken, yeah, you're running around and busyness is your strategy on the Sabbath. Second point is if you're living in cycles, find the true way. Here's our third point, it's gonna be short. Uh, it has to do, again, with that, the nature of that panic that we feel when we're lost. And when people have been out long enough or longer, right, like it builds on itself, they describe something that is akin to alienation. Right? They are surrounded by nature, surrounded by trees, but it all starts to look the same. They even describe it as like a blur. Um, in some of the more extreme cases, uh, people don't even recognize their rescuers. Like they have to be tackled, literally tackled to be brought in. Um, and when they do come in and they ask like, okay, what were you feeling and what was going through your mind? Uh, people say, oh, you know, um, I felt this alienation. I felt a profound sense of loneliness. Loneliness. 
Now, I don't think I need to connect the dots too hard on this one, right? We've been talking for the past year or two about the really painful loneliness that's gone on with COVID, right? People celebrating birthdays and holidays by themselves in rooms are, are seniors especially difficult. We know people that suffered in hospitals alone. And I want to, I want to honor that pain and um, like that is, that is so difficult for us. I also want to say that the loneliness that these hikers are describing is a different kind of loneliness. It's actually a loneliness that is even more difficult for me, right? Which is not the loneliness that we feel when we're literally alone. It's the loneliness that we feel even though we're around other people. It's the loneliness we feel, especially when we're around other people. I mean, there's nothing worse than going to a party and feeling lonely. Feeling like you could leave and no one, no one would notice or no one would care. I, I think that's why we belong to communities like this, right? That try and break through try and break through that alienation. And yet, even saying that, I know that that's not always possible, right? We don't always feel it. We don't always receive it. And that's when I want you to know that you have a promise. You have a promise that you are never alone. That no matter how lost you feel, no matter where you are in the woods, that God is with you. Our call to worship today was Psalm 139. We are penned in, behind and before. Where can we flee from God? Nowhere. Nowhere. Not even in the deepest woods. If that loneliness of being alone was how we felt in the beginning of COVID, I'm worried, I know many of you are worried, that this loneliness together is what we're seeing in our communities now. And I don't have easy words to say. I just have that promise that I hope you'll remember in your heads. I hope you'll remember in your bones that if you feel lost, that you've already been found, that we 